Starting a new international business is never easy, but COVID has added additional layers of problems. We talk about the wines of South Africa and the history of the wine-growing traditions with Suzanne Lang. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Suzanne Lang, a South African from Cape Town. She's been in the States, in New Orleans, about five years and has gone from being a full-time lawyer to becoming a wine merchant. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. So I'm really curious, being a lawyer, myself actually being a recovering lawyer, <laughs> what, what brought you to the law? Uh, probably my parents' middle-class ambition that I should have something to fall back on initially. I was always good at debates at school and um, uh, reading and, you know, relatively smart, if I may say so, and mm-hmm. so... They didn't want me to be an actress or anything like that. So law was also where I felt very comfortable. I like lawyers. I like I like that they are rational and um, and so that's where I where kind of I landed up there and ended up in a really good law firm that I had a long career with of about twenty three years in the same firm. I went from being an article clerk to being a senior partner in that firm and. In Cape Just, Town? Yeah, well, in South Africa, generally, it's one of the biggest IP law firms in uh-huh. Africa. Uh-huh. So I kind of ended up very quickly in a really good spot and made good money and had a good career. And that's how I ended up and stayed up in law. Mm-hmm. And so you came to New Orleans? I took a sabbatical when I was about 44 years old. And I wanted to become a member of the Louisiana Bar. It's notoriously difficult bar exam. And I needed a break of about a year, I thought. And I went to Tulane to do an LLM to get the credits I needed to write the Louisiana Bar exam. And did that. And I can tell you that Louisiana Bar exam is one of the most emotionally traumatizing events (laughs) of my life. (laughs) <laughs> but I did that, and so now I'm a qualified lawyer both in the U.S. and in South Africa. Well, I, that congratulations for that. <laughs> yeah. So d- you took a, a master's in international law? or in I took a more of a general American law type of a master's focusing on lots of Louisiana subjects. Mm-hmm. I can brag and say that I was the top student in Louisiana torts that year. Oh, wow. Yeah, and came very close to being the top in Louisiana civil procedure. And so I took courses like that so that it would make the bar exam easier for me, really. The LLM was a stepping stone towards... Um, being able to do the bar and, and to practice. So in uh, South Africa, is the law based on English law or is it more European law? We have got, in our common law, we've got a Roman-Dutch law system, which is civil law, mm-hmm. which is the same as what Louisiana has. Mm-hmm. 
So there, there was a lot of similarity between the common law subjects like torts, for instance, mm-hmm. and um, and my South African law, but different. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's not English law or common law. Yeah, I, I always, <laughs> I always tease the common law people and just say, you know, it's not rational. Common law is not rational. <laughs> exactly. It's just kind of ad hoc. <laughs> yeah, you got to go back to those Romans and your thing or two. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with you. So now that you are um, becoming a wine merchant, how did that happen? I was kind of setting myself up that I would live mostly in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to give up either city after my experience. So I wanted to be based mostly in Cape Town, and my law practice is based there. And and spend a lot of time in New Orleans. but And then I came out here for Mardi Gras in 2020. And then COVID happened and I couldn't get back to South Africa. South Africa's borders had closed completely. So even citizens who wanted to return home had to arrange special diplomatic flights organized by the embassy in Washington and other places oh, wow. to, to be able to fly home. And so I thought I would just wait it out. I mean, I, I do have a home here too and... The waiting took me all the way to October, November of 2020. And in that time, um, the idea to start a a wine importing and distribution business grew because I've always been frustrated that if I go to a restaurant and there's so many great ones in the city or I go to a a wine store, I'm not able to find the – have not been able to find the good wines that I, I know South Africa to make. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm frustrated that people here don't know how great our wines are. So, in a quixotic way, I thought I would do something about that. It's been much more difficult than I thought it was streaming it up <laughs> at home. But here I am. I've done it, and business is up and running, and we're doing very well. So, was it harder to start because of COVID, or did that have its own problems that ad- were added, or was it just going to be difficult anyway? It wasn't harder to start because of COVID. It, it's got to do with how um, alcohol is regulated in the United States and within the separate states. It's a highly regulated um, industry. And so to get all the different permits you need from federal level to state level, um, all the requirements that you have to meet for that um, is quite strenuous. It took me months to to get my liquor license in in Louisiana, you know, I had to get a warehouse. I have to get a delivery vehicle. I have to, you know, there was there was just so much uh, to be done, and, um, and all of that. Thankfully for COVID, I had the time to do all of that, <laughs> and um, and now I'm all set up for it. Yes. So you're actually able to be an importer and a distributor. That surprised me too. Um, the U.S. has a three tier system when it comes to alcohol, where you cannot be both a importer, a distributor, and a retailer. These three categories are meant to be kept separate. But Louisiana is never like everybody else. <laughs> so in Louisiana, I said I wanted to be an importer, and they said, well, you're going to have to be a distributor if you want to be an importer. It's the same category license. And so now I am an importer and a distributor in Louisiana. But I, I can sell only to distributors in other states. Mm-hmm. And the focus of my business is on providing quality South African wines to the southern states. Um, so the deep southern states, as they say, and also sort of the Florida Gulf Coast. And, you know, my ambition to, w- might take me to Texas and so on, if I'm lucky. Right. Yeah. 
And so how how has it been in terms of being able to bring the wine in? I mean, did COVID get in the way of, of that, that importing and and um, travel, did that interrupt yes. that? Yeah. So what, what has happened is that international shipping is suffering enormous delays everywhere around the mm-hmm. globe. Mm-hmm. So um, shipping a container that should take six weeks to get from Cape Town to New Orleans, and I ship directly from Cape Town to New Orleans, um, can end up taking two months. And when you are transporting um, a product like wine, you have to be very careful about temperature control. Mm-hmm. You don't want the wines to be cooked and hot and boiled by the time they get here. Um, and so... And they probably have to settle a little bit. They ha- they get uh, bottle shock. Yeah. So bottle shock is a phenomenon. If I mean, they come on a rather strenuous journey. It's a long mm. way to travel. And uh, we typically, when we get them into the warehouse, let them rest for a few weeks before we even taste. Um, just, you know, just talk to them and play some music <laughs> and make them feel at home and it's nice and cool in there. And I'm also only shipping now in refrigerated containers where we can keep the uh, temperature stable mm-hmm. at 15 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. I don't know Fahrenheit yet. <laughs> but it's, it's cold. And then we put temperature loggers in there as well so that you can log the temperature of the wine all the way. Um, because of these delays, just to answer your COVID question, mm-hmm. because I watched my first container bounce around from Cape Town to the Bahamas had hung out there for a while and then it mm-hmm. went to, I think, Bermuda and then it went to um, Mexico and Houston and finally ended up here. Just um, that's the state of it. You, uh, you That's have incredible. To, <laughs> like you yeah. throw your bread on the waters mm-hmm. and it comes back to you eventually. So I don't know whether you know this, but my parents had an export forwarding business, I mean an import forwarding business. And yeah, uh, so, of course, this was in the time of before computers, before container ships. I mean, ten container ships happened while I was like a late teenager. And uh, I used to be a runner. And so I would go from one shipping company to the other with all these bills of ladings and all that sort of thing and get it stamped and everything. <laughs> and then I would have to uh, go to consulates and get papers and all that. So, I mean, that was, that was my job. I ran around everywhere on the docks and in offices and in consular offices and whatever, because the, the quickest way to get the documents was yes. just by a person carrying them. And uh, nobody had email, nobody had anything like that. So I was the courier. So I, I learned a lot about geography because I would have to look at the map and say, okay, this is going to have to be through this place, this place, and this place. So I have to go to these three consulates and, you know, whatever might have needed to happen. And um, I I learned all about bank drafts. I mean, I was like 14, 15 doing all this. I have to go to the bank and get a bank draft and mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of thing. And uh, so I, it's always interesting to me when somebody's doing this work because I actually have a little bit of an idea about what it's like. You impressed me yet again. I mean, I uh, I was already impressed. Now I know this as well. And it, it's, it's very hard to, to bring stuff in it, to it, the U.S. It, it, and, yes. and rightly so. I mean, there's so many checks and um, controls and uh, regulations that have to be complied with before any foodstuffs can come in here. Yes, yes. It's uh, 
It is amazing. And the other thing that this is totally an aside, excuse me for interjecting this, but one of the things that was really fun is that um, when the ships would come in, the captains who knew people were, you know, agents for all of the people who had brought the brought the goods in, um, who you know who owned the goods, they would have parties on the ship, and they would have their chefs, you know, make special food that was the food of the, whatever country the flag was, and I, I would get to go even though I was just a kid because I was working in the business and I could go with my parents, and. Uh, I, I used to love that because if it was a Greek ship, I got to eat Greek food and real Greek food. How you know, fascinating. Yeah. So, which was your favorite ship to go and have dinner at? Which country? Well, putting you on the spot now. Greek. I mean, the Greek ones were pretty nice because they they didn't care like if I drank and things like. That. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. But you know, I would say that. The, the Greek ships were great. Um, some of the, the ships that would come from the, the western coast of Africa, you know, like mm-hmm. through the Canary Islands, those were, those were kind of interesting also. I, I, I guess it, it made me drink things like Madeira that I wouldn't have tasted probably because I don't think my parents would have had Madeira. We had Marsala. We had other kinds of stuff, but we didn't have Madeira. So all of this running around with paperwork while enjoying different cultural food experiences probably explains a lot about you for today, right? Probably, yes. yeah. They all came together there. It's, it is kind of interesting how, don't you think most people's lives do that? If you look backwards, you can draw a line through it. While it's happening, it looks like this crazy <laughs> thing of messed up string. <laughs> yes. But after it's over, you can make it make sense. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to your journey now you use refrigerated containers. Yes. And um, and you have your own warehouse. Which is also temperature controlled. And I have uh, staff of two <laughs> and me. So we're suddenly actually starting to do really well now. I mean, Ida, the hurricane set us back a bit. You know, we thought the big sale season was yeah. starting around September again, mm-hmm. working towards Christmas. And then Ida shut everything down for about a month. Sales wise, but do no, you have a rocking. backup generator for your? What happened your was warehouse? that I have a very um, resourceful sales manager, and uh, with a family who owns a timber company, and we literally got a timber truck to transport all of our wines out of there as soon as the power went down, and one of the other very kind wine distributors in New Orleans who did have a, a backup a warehouse with uh-huh. a generator took us in oh well that's nice isn't that sweet i i love that we didn't lose it lose anything and um that cooperative nature is very nice i like that me too yeah 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 okay well that's good i'm i'm glad to hear that because that would have been tragic i know after katrina so many restaurants lost their entire holdings of wine because it became so hot and people had really special things that were just ruined Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's over. Can't do anything about it. How are you developing your business? And um, do you go back to South Africa and look for more wines? Are you dealing with dealers over there? Are you trying to uncover special things that maybe have never been over here? 
Um, I know the wine producers in South Africa and the industry generally there quite well because of my law practice. Mm -hmm. I used to work with a lot of wineries on their trademarks and branding and geographical indications. And I um, was involved in holding an annual wine seminar in South Africa in my old firm. Um, so I so I know the individuals involved to a large extent. I, I know the wine country very well. I know what I like. I know what's good. I know who's nice to work with. Rule number one in my business is that I will only work with nice, kind people, mm-hmm. trying to hold fast to that. But for the most part, all the wine producers in South Africa are indeed exactly that. So I order the wine um, that I know and from the producers that I know from here, but I also go and visit them um, regularly. I've just come back now in October from a trip of about five, six weeks to Cape Town. And during that trip, um, I'd go and visit and taste and see what's new and what's good and um, and then make a decision on how to put together our, our next containers. Um, so we've got another container that's leaving Cape Town on the 26th of November, so in final stages of getting everything ready for that. Um, and that's to a large extent based on both what we've already sold out of here, the popular stuff, and then new things they want to introduce. So um, we're trying to 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 get the best wines um, and not necessarily the cheapest wines or anything, but we want to have good value, um, mm-hmm. but the really the best wine and showcase what South African wines are all about. So do you find that because... South African wines were not widely distributed already, that people are very interested? Uh, people are interested, um, but also there is a, there is another part to our sales, which is frustrating because sometimes we literally have to start by saying South Africa is a country. It's not like South America. Oh, my gosh. It's a, it's a country. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then go to it's a country that makes wine. And sometimes there are people, I, I don't mean knowledgeable wine people, but sometimes there are people who, who are surprised to hear that South Africa makes wine and is one of the top 10 wine-producing countries in the world. And then from there we have to go and, and, and sell the specific wines and the specific varietals and get people to be interested in it. So people are interested and they are trying it and they're loving it. But um, it's it's not as easy as going, this particular wine from South Africa is great. We have to start our story by how it is that we grew wine in South Africa in the first place and why it is a great place for wine to grow and, you know, the centuries worth of history that's in, in our industry. Well, so tell us a little bit about that. So the first wines were made in South Africa in the 1650s. So fun fact is that's 300 years before the New Zealanders made their first wine. Mm. So we are the oldest of the new world wine producing countries, if you will. Mm. So I think in a way South African wine for that reason straddles the old and the new world in terms of our style of winemaking. Um, so the Dutch came and settled, not the Dutch, uh, the Netherlands, the, the country, but a company came and colonized Cape Town so that they could have a halfway station for their ships sailing from Europe to Indonesia. And it became the Tavern of the Seas. So the sailors who came from that arduous journey wanted food and uh, drink and wine, and so wine was planted. And then when the, in, when the French Huguenots were being persecuted in France in the 1680s, the Dutch said to them, well, we'll give you land if you want to come um, to the Cape 
and you can come and farm. And so a lot of uh, French Huguenot Protestant families came, and they were given land in an area called Franschhoek in Dutch, which means the French Quarter. And so that's when we started making really good wine. That was around 1660s. And there's still a lot of great wine farms in, in Franschhoek, and I bring in a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And so we've been making wine since then, and our terroir is great. We've got the very cold southern Atlantic current bringing very cool air at night for the vineyard. So our vineyards get cooled down, and in the day they get a lot of sun. They grow in a weathered granite soil, but there's a big clay base underneath it. So our vines don't need a lot of irrigation. I mean, our roots for the vines go deep into this clay through this granite uh, soil. And so the terroir is amazing. And we we produce um, quite a lot of different varietals. Unlike France, where there's special areas where only a particular varietal may grow, we're known for oh, the first grapes that the Dutch planted mm-hmm. were what they called steen or steen, which we now know as Chenin Blanc. Oh. That's our white varietal that I think is, is probably the best white varietal South Africa produces. I'm going to be killed for saying that. <laughs> as I said it. Um, and then the other one was called Grundruif, which means in Dutch, uh, from the Dutch, it means green grape. And we found that that is semillon. Oh. So those are the two original ones. And then, of course, another grape that was unique to South Africa in the sense that it was grafted, Pinot Noir was grafted onto Sinso, which was called Hermitage at the time, to create Pinotage, mm. which is South Africa's, you know, flag mm-hmm. red varietal. Mm-hmm. Um, but unlike Pinotage and Sinso, which are very uh, delicate grapes, Pinotage is actually quite a robust grape. So it's like, you know, having a child that doesn't quite resemble its parents, the genes can do weird things, and our winemakers are doing great things with Pinotage. So, I mean, I can, I can, I can talk till tomorrow. <laughs> no, no, I think it's really a fascinating thing, and the idea that really America is fairly untapped—at least the south of the country—is not familiar with this whole panoply of wines—is is kind of a nice thing. Because um, you, you get to introduce them. Absolutely. There were some South African wines here. I'm not claiming to be the first person to sell South African wines in, in New Orleans and in Louisiana. But I, I hope to become the queen of South African wines, if you will, because <laughs> <laughs> definitely a very passionate proponent. And that's all I import, only South African wine, which um, which makes my business unique here and um mm-hmm. You know, also a little vulnerable if people don't take to South African wines the way that I hope. Let's see. But they are. I'm, I'm getting really good feedback, good sales, good traction. People love it. It's interesting to me what they love versus what I thought they would love when I ordered my first shipments. Uh-huh. I'm starting to adjust. I thought that our Cabernet Sauvignons, for instance, would sell so much better because I know that Americans have a big love of it. But I find that the Napa Valley cabs, for instance, are a lot more fruity, almost sweeter mm-hmm. than the old world style Cabernet Sauvignons. So there are some special uh, wine people here who really adore it, but you know that's been harder than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And there are other things like our Rieslings are flying. People are loving that. 
our Cup Classiques, the sparkling wines made in the Champagne Method in Cape Town are doing so well. Rosés, there's a huge market for that. People seem to love it. Mm-hmm. I didn't initially even order any rosés, you know, but now I'm, I've got gotten right. the message. Yeah. Marchand and Blancs are doing well. So it's just, it's been interesting to see what, what people love and what they don't. And I, and I get to adjust my course as, as I go. So I'm particularly interested in your Rieslings because I lived for three years in Germany uh, and got to drink a lot of Rieslings. So how are they different from German Rieslings? Not that different, actually. Our Rieslings are probably a little sweeter than some of those German Rieslings, but now I've said the word sweet, our Rieslings aren't sweet. I think lots of people think that Riesling is, I used to think Riesling is sweet. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have it with pork or something like that because it's sweet, but it's actually not sweet. Mm-hmm. So we have beautiful fruit on our Riesling, the literally uh, jasmine. The one Riesling we're selling, Natida Riesling, it's it's our most popular Riesling. It's just you just get jasmine in that glass, and does it have that same mineral quality? Yes, the That's minerality is yeah. there, uh-huh. um, the acidity is there, but it's not it's not sour. Uh-huh. It, it, it's, you know, this is where where my uh, Sales manager <laughs> come and talk to you. <laughs> I don't say the wrong things, but yes, it is a lot like um, German, German Riesling, and it's it's not sweet, but it's it's got a fruitiness, maybe I should say. So when I was living in Germany, the people used to make their own, and uh, so they would have something called Basenwirtschaft, where they would put a a Basen means broom, and they would put a broom over their door during this two week period. And every evening they would have their very front room become a little tavern. And then you could go in there and drink their Riesling. And it was so much fun. Can we start that in New Orleans, please? (laughs) I think it would be so much fun to do that. Absolutely. And uh, so anyway, that's that's something we should talk about, think about. I'm even thinking it would be so fun if your law firm... Um, had some kind of a, a, a wine um, lecture or a wine symposium that was that was actually about law and wine? Is that what it was? Yes. We should do a continuing <laughs> legal education thing here in Louisiana. I think that would be really a fun thing to do. No, we just said we were going to do the pop-up with the broom over the door where you can go drink wine at the neighbor's. Oh, yeah, we How can do that to too. A legal symposium? <laughs> I think we should do both. <laughs> Not at the same time. Be no, a... no I, I think it would be difficult <laughs> to do them together. Yes. Be that coherent. <laughs> so what do you see for the future? World domination. Yes. A private jet mm-hmm. that carts me around between Cape Town and New Orleans. <laughs> I, I think that sounds uh, <laughs> wonderful. What about teleportation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, other than that, I I would really like to make a difference for South Africa in the USA. This is the way I've chosen to do it. I want to bring fantastic South African products made by great people to the attention of Americans more. I want it to be right up there with the French and the Italian and the Spanish wines. Like you, you, if you go shopping, I want I want our, not necessarily just my wines. I, I'm supportive of all South African wines and anybody who brings it in. And I want to do something good for my country, and I want to keep living in both. I want to keep living in Cape Town and New Orleans, and so I, I think I've hit on a good spot for for that ambition. 
I'm yep. hoping that for the plane, but maybe not. I think the wine industry is a bit tougher. I've realized. <laughs> it it sounds it sounds totally like a wonderful ambition, and I'm sure that the people of South Africa in the wine industry, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think so. I think everybody's excited for the journey. Um, if those those people I do represent here are very excited to join this journey. They're so intrigued by America and the American market. It's also difficult for people in other countries generally to understand this market because really we're talking about 50 sovereign states. It's not just one country. I mean, federally there's one border, but every country has its own distributors, own regulations. It's very hard to understand this market, and it's such an enormous market. It's the biggest economy in the world. So... South Africans are used to exporting to the UK or to Germany, and they they understand that's another country you go in there. And but here, I think there's a there's a lot of education. But now I'm back to our legal symposium. There's a lot of education <laughs> to be done, so people understand all the the limitations and the difficulties. And I think it is the best thing to start small, like I'm doing now. I'm starting mm-hmm. here in Louisiana. I want to gradually move to my product to Alabama and. Um, Arkansas and other places, mm-hmm. um, that's a way to do it. You can't just come into America and be arrogant and think you're going to, you know, world dominate, like I just said. But no, it's not possible. You have to have to start somewhere. Yeah, I'm starting in the best city, other than Cape Town, which is New Orleans. I totally agree <laughs> with you there. Totally. So thanks a lot, Suzanne. It's I'm looking pleasure. forward to the things that we're going to do together. I wish that we uh, could be constantly drinking a glass of wine. We we could. And celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, Join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.